The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. You know, the whole reason that the Word makes a difference in our lives, of course, is that the Word became flesh and lived among us. Unto us a child is born, I just read. From the prophet Isaiah, writing many centuries before Christ came. Jesus was not a last-ditch effort to save us. His coming was planned and foretold from the beginning of time. Deb Holliday is back talking with me about these prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. She contributed all the introductions to the prophets in the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, and she loves to draw our attention to how they point forward to Christ. This is a huge topic, but we are going to zero in on some of the key announcements of his coming to help us prepare for Christmas. Deb, welcome. Thank you, Sarah, for having me back. I really appreciate it. Yeah, love having you on this podcast. And I have to ask, how are you celebrating Advent right now? Now, Do you have a favorite devotion that helps to keep your mind on the season? That's really a great question because I always feel guilty every year because I have a feeling I'm like, the majority of women that are so busy preparing (laughs) for Christmas that we forget that it's Advent, that there's a whole season before we get to Christmas. What do you do? Do you have any tricks? The one thing I make sure that I do is I I have the uh, Magnificat downloaded on my phone. So I try to make sure that I do the readings every day. Even if, if I don't have any time to do anything else, I'll just read them. And then this way, if I have a break during the day, I have something to meditate on. Oh, that's wonderful. I really like to get the advent calendar out too, because that I have that one that has the readings in that also. So that's a reminder that even if by the end of the day, I haven't done it by dinner time, I can look on my fridge. And, and there it is. Right. Nice. And of course, the readings point us right? I mean, they help to focus our mind on where we're supposed to be. Exactly. So uh, thinking, you know, we're coming up on the third Sunday of Advent, which is known as Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. And that, unsurprisingly, is the theme of the readings, Rejoice. So let's, let's talk about that today. Let's start with Sunday's first reading, which comes from the prophet Isaiah. Like a lot of readings this time of year, it seems to me. Isn't that true? Why, why is that that Isaiah is quoted from so much? Well, it's funny when you think about it, just to throw a statistic out there, this in this cycle of readings, there are 22 Old Testament readings and 13 of them are from the prophet Isaiah. Oh, wow. So that's a lot. That's a significant amount. And one of the great things about Isaiah, and I'm just going to steal from St. Jerome here, because he called it the fifth gospel, because basically Hmm. everything points to Christ in Isaiah. It contains all of the mysteries of our Lord. Wow. And when you read through Isaiah, you could see Jesus on almost every page. Hmm. That would be a beautiful study. That first reading is from Isaiah 61. So not exactly in the beginning of of the book. It's toward the end, actually. It's a really familiar one. It's the one that says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, you know, sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted proclaim liberty and release, and so on. 
who's speaking here? Is this Isaiah speaking for himself? The spirit is on him or is he giving voice to somebody else's message? Well, he's talking about the one who is to come. And I think in order to really explore that, we need to kind of go a little bit further back into Isaiah. If you go all the way back to Isaiah 7, in Isaiah 7, we get the prophecy that, behold, a virgin shall conceive a child and his name will be Emmanuel. Yeah, God with us. God with us, right. So we've got that prophecy in chapter 7 of Isaiah. Then if you go to chapter 9, which was what you just read from before, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called, as you said, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, about how this points to Jesus's kingship, right? He's going to be on the throne of David. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have these prophecies that no, Isaiah isn't talking about himself, but he is talking about the one who is to come, the king that is to come. We get a little bit more information when you jump to Isaiah 11. And in Isaiah 11, verse one, we get, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse Hmm. and a branch shall grow out of his roots. But the next line is what, again, what comes up Later on in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Isaiah is referring back to this particular child that we're looking forward to, this king, this Messiah, right? The anointed one. And so you said an interesting thing from Isaiah 11, that the child will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Yeah, who's Jesse and and why is he a stump and what's the shoot coming out of him? Jesse is King David's father, right? So we have that promise that we talked about a few weeks ago in 2 Samuel 7, where David is given that, that promise that he will always have a son on the throne always. So that's why, you know, sometimes we don't like to read those genealogies because they just seem so long and there's lots of names and we don't know what they have to do with. But it's important, especially in Matthew and Luke, because Jesus is telling us that his lineage is from David. And that throne got cut off at one point. So that's why it's a a stump, because for a long time there was no king. So the promise is that a shoot will come from that stump. Exactly. And just to jump forward a little bit, because we had this um, in Isaiah 9, we talked about this child that's going to have the government, the throne, right? But he also talks about how this Messiah, this king, will bring about this, this time of peace too. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb and the leopard will lay down with the kid. You know, So we have this idea of this king is going to bring about this time of peace. So that's mm-hmm. what we're also waiting for here, right? So in summary, we have Isaiah tells us that child is going to be born of a virgin, also from the line of David. The spirit is going to rest upon him. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and he's going to be able to rule with justice and righteousness, which is how no king really, no human king has really ruled mm-hmm. like that, right? And we also know that Jesus is the just 
judge, right? So he's going to rule like no other king could rule because he sees our hearts. Yeah. So getting back to Isaiah 61, which is the passage that we'll be hearing at Mass on Sunday, the, the person who's talking in the prophecy is the anointed one. Right. The Messiah. You know, when he talks about me, he's talking about that. Uh, what is he going to do? Well, let's look at that. You mentioned something really important there and that idea of the anointed one, because there are only two people that are anointed in scripture, kings and priests, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, well, we know Jesus is both, but he's anointed. We say the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings. And what is what are the good tidings? That is the gospel message, right? The good news. That's what we're looking forward to. What is he going to do? He's sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. So he's going to do all of those things that we see Jesus do in the Gospels. Mm. As a matter of fact, if you go to Luke chapter 4, it's the first time that we see a public appearance of Jesus. And he's in the synagogue, and he gets up to read this very passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He sits down, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So right there, we know that Jesus knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what he's come to do. He is declaring himself to be the king, the anointed one who is going to bring good tidings. He's going to proclaim liberty. He's going to free us because as I've mentioned before, everything in the Old Testament points to fulfillment in the new. So think back when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. How did they get out of there? Through the Exodus, right? The whole historical context of the Exodus is going to point forward to what we're truly waiting for. The Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt. What we look forward to is Jesus coming and setting us free from not just slavery, but slavery to sin. Mm -hmm. So he's accomplishing much more than just releasing us from obeying another king or being subject to another king. He's freeing us from slavery to sin. I love all the different things that it says he's going to do, you know, not just proclaiming liberty, freedom from slavery to sin, but also binding the brokenhearted. I mean, here in America, we don't really think about a need for liberty that much, but everybody can can relate to being brokenhearted. And a lot of people don't think there is any sin, you know, but you certainly can can feel bound by the the troubles of the world and you know we know there's sin and that it impacts us badly and so Jesus was not only coming initially to free the Jews in the first century from that he's coming to free us what should our response be to this let's look at what he's going to do as well because i think we have to go back and really look at the church in its wisdom puts readings together and even though we're not reading this middle section of Isaiah 61, the assumption is that you kind of know what it is because you would have read it. What do you mean by the middle section? Our readings go from 61 verses 1 and 2 
to 61 verses 10 and 11. Oh, so our reading skips something in Isaiah 61. And you're saying that's important to understanding. It is important because that's where he talks about, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. In verse 10, we pick up, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, which is what you just asked me, basically. What is our response supposed to be? It's supposed to be rejoice. Mm -hmm. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Mm. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland and a bride adorns herself with jewels. So our response is supposed to be rejoice because what Jesus is doing for us. Sarah, what do you think he means by he has clothed me in the garments of salvation, in the robe of righteousness? I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit obscure? It does. And, you know, it just sounds like a, a pretty image or something. So I'm guessing that there's more to it than that. There absolutely is. Because when you think about it, let's go back to the very, very beginning, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. And we realize that once they sinned, they realize that they are naked. Naked. And ashamed. Right. But we kind of think, oh, they just feel like they lost their clothing and they realized that they they weren't wearing clothing, but they actually really did lose something. They lost their garments of salvation. Hmm. They lost their robe of righteousness. So they're cast out of paradise because they are no longer clothed in God's glory. Wow. So one of the things that Jesus does and one of the things that we can rejoice about is that through our baptism, we are clothed again in the garments of salvation or covered in the robe of righteousness. So that's what allows us to get back into paradise, Hmm. garments of salvation. And it's interesting too, because there's a reading in Matthew 22, where we hear about a wedding feast Mm -hmm. and there's a man that comes in and he's not clothed in the proper garments yeah. And it seems pretty harsh because he didn't wear a suit and they won't let him in. <laughs> right. And that's <laughs> kind of what we think, but it's like, oh my gosh, why, you know, can't somebody give him a jacket, you yeah. know, to come in? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he's not allowed into the wedding feast because he does not have those garments of salvation. He's not mm. covered in that robe of righteousness. And I love one of the images that St. Ephraim gives us is that Jesus in his own baptism, he lays down his divinity in the Jordan River so that through our baptism, we are actually clothed in Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. So we have this image of being robed in Jesus's salvation, Mm. his glory. We don't have our own. Here's Isaiah telling us that the spirit of the Lord is upon that anointed one who we already heard in Luke, Jesus says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is claiming this. So what is he doing? He is going to give us the opportunity to put on his divinity, to literally put on Christ. And then you have that image of um, the wedding feast, right? That we see in, in Revelation. In Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb. All those that are clothed in their garments of salvation are able to come into the feast. Mm, 
Oh, that's beautiful. I had no idea that that imagery went through. You look at the garden imagery going through, but I never looked at the clothing. That's really lovely. So that's kind of left out of our reading from Isaiah, but I expect that people who read it all the time would probably know that that was in the middle there. It's one of the reasons I like to actually read the readings from the Bible itself, because many times the church consolidates, I guess, takes out certain verses, probably just to make it manageable for the length of the Mass, you know, Absolutely. To, to give a, a good length of a reading. But sometimes when we're reading it, we can pick up those extra things that really add a real richness to our understanding. Right. So you have verses one and two, and then we read verses 10 and 11. But in, in the middle of that, you'll also hear that we're going to receive a double portion that God in his overwhelming love for us doesn't just fix the broken. Right? He gives us so much more. He wants to pour out in excess all that we can possibly imagine, everything that we could want in order to thrive. And he also says in verse eight that I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So this, again, jump forward to Jesus, right? At the Last Supper, what is he doing? He makes that new covenant in his blood. Right. He makes the covenant in his blood, right? So whereas we deserve nothing, we don't, we don't deserve to be saved. None of us. We're all sinners. Jesus saves us anyway. He pays the price for every single one of us from Adam and Eve in the beginning to every person that will ever live. He's paying the price. And then clothes us with those garments of salvation and makes us fit for the wedding supper. So no wonder our response is to be rejoice, rejoice. And then I noticed that in the Psalm response, the Psalm is actually our responsorial Psalm on Sunday is not actually a psalm, it's Mary's Magnificat. And it gives it to us a few verses at a time, and in between it pops in that little line from Isaiah 61. You know, my soul rejoices in my God. And I think it's lovely that it's pairing Isaiah's prophecy with Mary's Magnificat of kind of realizing this is happening. Right. This is, this is what we'll be celebrating. We're anticipating this all during Advent, yeah. but this is what we will be celebrating at Christmas, right? The incarnation. So speaking of that anticipating, if we go back to the Sunday readings, the gospel reading, it's not the nativity or something like that, or even the Annunciation. The gospel reading talks about John the Baptist. It's taken from um, John chapter one. Does that reflect some kind of prophetic voice or prophecy also? We have John being sent by God. He comes to bear witness, but we need to hear over and over again, he reassures us that he is not the Christ. He is not the one. So verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Right? He confessed, he didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. So now they're confused, right? He's out there in the Jordan baptizing people. Who is this guy? They said, well, he's not the Christ. He said, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not Elijah. They said, are you the prophet? The one that Moses said was to come, right? Are you the prophet? He said, no. And they said, who are you? 
let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Right, comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended. Then we get a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So here we know that John is claiming to be this voice that's preparing the way, the voice that's crying in the wilderness. O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up, say to the cities of Judah, and this is what the voice is supposed to cry, behold your God, behold your God, the God that is going to come with might, He's going to feed his flock like the shepherd. He's going to gather the lambs in his arms. So there's a lot here that John is alluding to by just saying that he's the voice crying out in the wilderness. So you have that beautiful correlation between Isaiah and what Isaiah says the voice is going to cry, behold your God, and John pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And of course, they are both now saying that to us. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I miss that message, maybe in the busyness of the season or just being so used to the fact that Jesus has already come. And reading those readings and thinking about them helps me to kind of get in touch with the ways that I do long. And the, I mean, all the sort of longings that I have and and ways that I'm broken and so on, but looking forward to discovering in a new way through Jesus how he has come to help with those things. I think all of us can do that during Advent. One of the things that I like about the second reading, you know, the second reading doesn't always go together with the other readings, but in this case, I think it does a beautiful job of helping us to know what is our response? How do we prepare? How can we get ourselves into kind of into the reason for the season, as they, as they say? Do you have anything to add about that, the second reading? What you mentioned before is really key. What is our response supposed to be? Of course, we are rejoicing because we know that Jesus has come, but we're not just looking at the first Advent, right? During Advent, we don't just prepare for the incarnation, which has already happened. We're also preparing ourselves for when Jesus comes again in glory. We live in that in-between, that already but not yet phase. We celebrate the fact that Christ did come, but we also live with this longing that we're waiting for Christ to come again in glory, when there will be that peace, when the wolf will be able to lie down with the lamb. That's what we're looking forward to. And what Paul says we should be doing, in addition to rejoicing, is to pray constantly. Yeah, so just to read that, it's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's verses 16 to 24, but it's rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it keeps on, uh, let's see, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, etc. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
And so there again, we're, we're rejoicing, we're giving thanks, but we're looking forward to that second coming. And he is faithful, and he will bring comfort and healing and all of those things that he promises. And there's so many things we can do during this time period, right? And I think it is important because as women, we want to make Christmas so special for our families. And it is a lot of pressure on a lot of women to to try to get everything done, get the house decorated, get the cookies made, just make it beautiful. But we have to take time to really rest in that spirit of anticipation, that wonder for what we wait for. And here these readings are reminding us that there's reason to rejoice, but also helping us to do that, which in turns impacts our heart. So hopefully when you when you look at all of these readings together, you can kind of see the wisdom of the church, how she puts this all together so that we can go into Advent fully aware of what, what we're waiting for. That, especially that final week that's so hard. I'd like to close with the responsorial psalm. And maybe, Deb, you could read the response. And I'll, I'll read from the Magnificat, as I said earlier. But think about it in terms of Advent and Advent waiting and what we are doing and how we're preparing our hearts for the Lord's coming on Christmas. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. My soul rejoices in my God. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. My soul rejoices in my God. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy. My soul rejoices in my God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your mercy, for your promise of mercy, and for having mercy on us, for sending your Son, and for the way that you prepared the way for him to come 2,000 years ago. Holy Spirit, help us to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to receive Jesus when he comes again, and to be able to rejoice with full hearts. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word, pray for us. Thank you, Deb, for this insight into the readings and into Isaiah's prophecies of the coming of Jesus. Is there anything you'd like to add? Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I wish you and your family a blessed Advent, first of all, <laughs> and then, of course, a beautiful Christmas as well. Thank you, and the same for all those who are listening. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women like Deb who love and live God's Word. I hope you'll have a blessed Advent, and God bless you as you read His Word.